Welcome back to another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. Welcome back. I'm Bo. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. It's been a busy morning. We are coming off a very eventful last week in the sports world, Lefty. We had uh, a crazy 24 hours in uh, probably the craziest 24 hours in MLB trade deadline history, I think. Uh, and uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit more on the show, but uh, I don't think anybody was ready for that. That was yeah, uh, yeah. that's pretty chaotic, right? Yeah, we we chatted about it, and we definitely didn't see uh, Juan Soto being moved. But, uh, you know, the Padres were able to put together a, a package of prospects and some, you know, MLB talent and made, made it happen. Sure. And we're going to dive into that specific trade a little bit later. But on the topic of baseball, uh, we can't discuss it without paying our respects to the great Vince Scully, who passed away just earlier this week. Um, iconic voice of the Dodgers. 66 years of calling games, remarkable career. Um, just a sad day for the uh, Dodgers fans and yeah. fans alike in baseball. Yeah, Dodgers fans, fans across the sport. Um, you know, Vince Scully definitely represented the sound of baseball to, uh, you know, multiple generations. Uh, and uh, he'll be missed. Definitely. You know, it's... Uh, Opening weekend for the English uh, Premier League. We've already had a, a couple games this morning. Uh, we've got one currently, you know, uh, going on. How are you feeling? Have you been looking forward to this for the past couple months? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm excited. Uh, you know, as a one of a couple of maybe three or four Brentford fans in the U.S., uh, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty excited for this season. I think they made some really good moves, and I expect them to finish. You know mid-table but uh yeah no it'll be a really good season uh we've already seen some pretty big surprises uh one being Bournemouth knocking off Ashton Villa Fulham tying Liverpool uh sure it looks to be a pretty exciting season yeah and if you haven't tuned in Mo Salah wow uh it's it's just funny uh over the years the evolution of uh of the winger and that position you know years ago uh, the idea of being a winger was just passing it into a center forward, feeding it in. But, uh, you know, guys like Mo Salah and many others have just revolutionized this uh, position itself. And it's so fun to watch. Uh, outstanding, remarkable player. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, got got paid this offseason. And good for him. Very now, much. Now the highest paid player, I believe, in the Premier League. And uh, yep. good for him. He's been uh, just dominant for a couple of years. Well, this is going to be the first year in many years that I'm actually really going to be involved in the English Premier League and watching. Uh, I was able to catch one and a half games this morning, and it was outstanding. Uh, the energy is unlike anything else in American sports that I've seen. So uh, thanks to you, Lefty, I will be uh, very involved in watching this this upcoming season here. So I'm excited. Nice. I hope it's a fruitful endeavor for you. I've, I've, <laughs> I've struggled with it, uh, just where I'm located here on the west coast of the U.S. Sure. Uh, just having access to games. They start at, you know, 6 or 7 a.m. usually on Saturdays and Sundays, and it's, right. a, it's a little early for me on the weekends. It's, it's tough. It's tough. But, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's dive into uh, some other headlines. Uh, a recent one that I kind of want to dissect here is in regards to the NFL. So they find the Miami Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, $1.5 million for tampering. This is a six-month investigation. 
league found the Dolphins violated the anti-tampering policy on three occasions from 2019 through 2022. They had conversations with Tom Brady when he was with the Patriots and with the Buccaneers. They had conversations with Sean Payton when he was still coach of the New Orleans Saints. Um, Stephen Ross is suspended through October. Uh, he's not permitted to be at the Dolphins facility. He's not able to represent the team. He can't attend any league meetings until next year. Um, they, they forfeit their first round pick in next year's draft, a uh, third round pick the following year. You know, a lot of layers, but I want to talk about my first issue, Tom Brady. So he's involved fully. His manager and his agent, Don Yee, is fully involved in these conversations. They're egging this on. It's happened multiple times, two different organizations, no punishment. Walks away, clean as a whistle, right? Uh, he was a willing participant in all this, but nothing's going to happen on his end. What do you think on this, Lefty? You know, I think that's kind of par for the course, um, you know, along with some other recent headlines that um, I'm sure we'll discuss at some point uh, that are uh, infuriating to a number of people. Uh, sure. Players have recently uh, got a slap on the wrist if they're stars. Um, Tom Brady, for better or worse, is still the face of the NFL, and uh, they want to protect that. Definitely. Uh, they, they do. Um, there's a lot of things you could say and do when you are when you are the face of the NFL. Aaron Rodgers just said he was uh, – uh, he credited uh, ayahuasca psychedelics to winning back-to-back MVPs. So, uh, uh, yeah, you can do hallucinogenics and you can, uh, you know, dabble in uh, uh, some tampering schemes, but uh, you can't bet on yeah. – uh, you can't bet on sports. You can't bet on sports <laughs> and you – you can't uh, you can't pull a apparently ayahuasca is on a different category than than uh, Josh Gordon's uh, you know marijuana issues. Absolutely. Now Goodell said in a statement he uh, this is this was unprecedented what happened. It was severe. He's never seen anything like it in 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 his the entirety of his career. So this is pretty serious. But you know in February. Former Dolphins coach Brad Flores said in his lawsuit there was racism in the league's hiring practices, you know, as far as Ross, when it came to Ross, uh, that he also attempted to incentivize him to tank, uh, that he was offered 100000 for every loss, you know, in, uh, in 2019 when he was hired on. But, of course, the NFL, no mention of anything in regards to racism. Of course, they they found no evidence of tanking. Of course, uh, there's no substance to Flores's claims of retaliation against him uh, when he was fired, which just raised every eyebrow in the NFL. Of course, uh, so you know, on a personal level, as a Bills fan, I got to see a lot of Brian Flores. This man's a great coach. He's going to continue to be a good coach. He's with the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Um, he's a straightforward guy. He's a competitor. But because he didn't want to fall in line, I believe he was fired. And, you know, even worse is that a guy like Stephen Ross gets to walk away uh, thanks to Roger Goodell and company. And, you know, you, you've got Brian Flores is just a, a lying, disgruntled employee at this point. Yeah, you know, and, and Flores, I believe, has, you know, raised a lawsuit against the NFL about this uh, that is still ongoing. So I imagine that this might be more of a, you know, formality, like 
they they can't come out and admit that they um you know are are aware of these same issues that he's filing suit over while they're trying to get that lawsuit dropped right um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that i know that uh I believe that that should be coming to a judgment here shortly, sometime in the near future. So it'll be interesting to to see how that plays out in an actual court of law, not the, the, the kangaroo court of the NFL. Sure. And depending on how this plays out, this could completely change the future of so many uh, aspects of the NFL and sports in general. You know, the, the hiring side of it. Uh, and, and, and what kind of power, you know, uh, employees have and owners have. But, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into our first story, Lefty. Who do you want to talk about today? You know, as we touched on earlier, uh, the Premier League is starting this weekend. We've already seen a handful of games. So I thought it would be fitting to cover uh, one soccer player who might be among the most underrated players in the recent history. Are you familiar with many uh, Brazilian soccer stars, Bo? Uh, just the big name ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody remembers the the Ronaldos, the Neymars, etc. You know, very prolific store, scorers and players in their own right. But uh, I think few folks remember, uh, at least in the Western world, uh, remember the incredible striker that that is Romario. The Romario. Yeah. At one time, he was named to to the FIFA list of greatest living players. He was named to the FIFA World Cup Dream Team and was recognized as the fifth best player of the century in a, in a FIFA poll. But uh, today he's largely fallen out of the conversation among many modern fans, and he hasn't really uh, received that kind of recognition in, you know, 15 to 20 years. So despite that fall from grace in the last 20 years, I think that, you know, Romario's career deserves a deep dive. Sure. So after uh, you know playing the majority of his youth ball for Vasco da Gama, uh, he was called up to the senior team in 1985. While there, he won a couple of league titles and uh, earned uh, his first call up to the Brazilian national team in 1988. Upon that call up, immediately dazzled. Uh, he helped lead Brazil to a, a silver medal in the Olympics in Seoul in 1988. And he led all players with seven goals in six games. Uh, with PSV, um, he, he after that 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 breakout performance in the Olympics, um, you know his his small Brazilian club sold him to uh, PSV in the the, the Dutch league. Um, and with PSC, PSV, he led the team to three league titles in five seasons and scored an astounding 165 goals in 167 games. That's a crazy number. Yeah, just insane production. You know, and, and he was seemingly able to create space where none existed, and he had this excellent way of scoring within the 18-yard box and had this really signature toe poke. Um, so following his outstanding five seasons in the Netherlands, Romario made the huge move over to FC Barcelona in 1993. Mm-hmm. So in his first season... Uh, with Barca, that 1993-94 season, Romario led the club to a La Liga title and was the league's top scorer, netting 30 goals in 33 matches. Really carrying over that, that Dutch production into uh, you know, what's a tougher division there in Spain. Absolutely. That season, Barcelona also made it to the Champions League final. They eventually lost to the underdogs in Milan, which uh, 
was a, a big defeat for the club, but he was named uh, runner-up for the FIFA World Player of the Year in 1993. In that year of 93, out, like just remarkably, he was left off the, the World Cup qualifying roster for Brazil amid much backlash among like fans in Brazil. Um, and it led Brazil to actually losing one of their qualifying matches for the first time. Wow. Uh, but he was not to be deterred, and he picked up exactly where he left off in the 1988 Olympics, um, got added to the squad for that World Cup in 94, scored five goals in seven games, and route to a World Cup title for Brazil. Um, <sighs> and he ended up winning the, the World Cup Golden Ball Award for the best player in the tournament and was named to the all-star roster for the tournament. The, the MVP. Absolutely. And coupled with his, you know, great performance in La Liga, that, that world cup showing, uh, in 1994, he was named the FIFA world player of the year. Literally the best player in the world. Yeah. That's not, that's not an easy one to pick up. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just a little difficult. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, not everything was uphill. After a suspension stemming from throwing a punch at a Sevilla midfielder during a match and tension with the Barcelona coach, Romario was released in 1995, in January of 1995, midway through the season. Um, he ended up returning to his native Brazil and played the next five seasons off and on for Flamengo. Um, he did have two short stints back in Spain with Valencia, but that was only saw him feature in 11 matches and score five goals. Yeah. With Flamingo over parts of those five seasons, he featured in less than 70 fixtures, only scored 37 goals. All of his time back there was punctuated with, you know, spats with Valencia coaching staff, more fights on the pitch, and injuries that really kept him from succeeding. And maybe more importantly, those injuries kept him from teaming up with, uh, Ronaldo in the 1998 World Cup. Um, so after after that time in Flamingo, Valencia, uh, in 2000 he returned to his you know youth club, Vasco, um, at the age of 34, and led them to another league title. Huh. And uh, he wow. ended up winning both the South American and Brazilian Player of the Year award that year. Yeah. Um, and for the next few years, he really bounced around Brazil. Had a short stint in Qatar, played a season in the MLS, and eventually returned to Vasco in 2007. And while the claim might not be 100% accurate, on May 20th, 2007, in a game against Sport Recife, uh, Romario netted a penalty kick for his thousandth career goal. And while official, you know, estimates range his total goals between 929 and 968 um either way it's pretty close to a thousand and it's just incredible production right that's an incredible number and it you know it's worth saying that that the competition in brazil might be a little less difficult than than that in europe but uh you know 950 plus goals is uh just a, a massive amount of scoring yeah, absolutely. No matter where you do it, it's just an absurd number. Yeah. So, you know, while controversial in his antics and having in a very short peak um, and a very short, you know, time in international and European football, 
Romario is an undoubtedly one of the most prolific scorers of all time. It seems likely um, that he could have had more sustained success in, in Europe um, if he had not had repeated issues with coaches and uh, extreme distaste for, for training. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, in line with all of his you know prolific scoring, um, it's worth noting that uh, his style of play is also one of the one of the incredible things about him. Um, his ability to score from a number of areas, um, maintain possession under pressure, and his ability to really pick up the ball at the midfield um, and start runs there led to a massive modernization of that number nine position in soccer. Um, sure. That that striker position, that center forward position just wasn't played the way that that he played it and now that style of play is much more common definitely so so now that you've heard about the uh you know the incredibly high peaks of Romario as a player and his prolific scoring ability do you think Romario is underrated yes I do I do think that Romario is underrated and here's why you know we're able to sit here from a modern perspective and look back on this. You know, we're talking about global football, and he played in an era for the majority of his career where famous, uh, you know, football players were not, they weren't out there outside of, you know, the uh, England, Brazil, Spain, Netherlands, places like that. Um, it it wasn't like it is today, obviously. So, you know, when you look at guys like Ronaldo, who just at the time had, you know, Romario been able to, I don't know, maybe fight back some of these injuries, keep some emotions together, uh, and uh, stay out there. I, I, I think Romario could have been in a similar position that Ronaldo was in, especially when brands like Nike and... You know, things like that were, you know, companies like that were, were looking for famous athletes to promote, to become the face of their brand. You know, that was a time when, you know, Michael Jordan was becoming, you know, a brand, not just, uh, you know, an athlete that was sponsored. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I believe that part also, too, um, you know, most of his career, he played for teams and in leagues that didn't become overwhelming super clubs or super leagues, right? Yes, he, yeah. he played in, in Barcelona, but that was for only a couple of years of his career, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think that has a lot to do with it, you know, as well. Um, he, he played in only one World Cup, obviously, as you said, he was injured in 98. And, and wasn't called up in, in 2002 uh, because of issues with coaching. And um, there were some injuries also there. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably why we're sitting here having this conversation about Romario. The statistics show that he was a supreme athlete and he was, you know, at the top. I, I don't think there's any question, but for whatever reason, his name isn't in a lot of these conversations. Yeah, you know, I think it, again, comes a lot down to attitude. Um, you know, once once you develop that reputation for not, not working hard, not having a high work rate, uh, things sure. like that, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of fans write you off. Um, and I also think that in, in, 
while global football is it wasn't quite as big at that time, it still was large. But there's just not a lot of international distribution of of Brazilian football, unfortunately. Like sure, domestic leagues in Brazil just aren't uh, something that are very very much followed across the world. So I think that that hurt him quite a bit. And again, you know that one that one World Cup appearance, uh, you know, limits the memories that fans make. Um, but uh, he definitely had the the talent there. Um, just definitely. You know, Definitely. We, we've seen this before. I mean, well, you know, take a look at Pele, right? Uh, I mean, he, he never played for uh, a European club, but, you know, Americans and Europeans, I mean, we remember him for performances in the World Cup, even though his best performances were at the club level. He played for one of the best clubs in the pla- on the planet at, at the time of his career. So, I mean, it's it, we've seen this before. And, and I, you know, that's just... Uh, that's unfortunately just part of, you know, um, how the sport has e- evolved, um, you know, outside. But uh, absolutely, I agree. I, I think Romario is underrated uh, when looking at the statistics and where he's at and where he ended his career. He was outstanding. And uh, he should be in these conversations, but he continues to not be. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as an aside, uh, it's worth noting uh just just briefly touching upon his uh Romario's current profession um he is now uh currently a successful senator from uh Rio de Janeiro and is now uh, as of 2021 the second vice president of the federal senate for Brazil so um it sounds like so that's he, one way to go yeah that's that's one way to go with uh you know retirement that's, yeah. that's different yeah yeah you can see that he's still uh you know pretty popular in brazil i would imagine um absolutely (laughs) i would um, say so uh, and you know he's had an interesting the kind of 180 in ideology so i think that that uh that really speaks to the fact that uh he must be super popular if he can completely change platforms um (laughs) yeah i I mean they're coming out to the polls so i i agree with you 100 percent yeah, so I guess we agree. Uh, Romario was underrated. Um, definitely a supreme career, and somebody uh, I, I think we both would have enjoyed watching a little more. No, I agree. I agree. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. And we're back. Thanks for sticking with us here. Bo, is there somebody you wanted to talk about after our uh, riveting Romario remarks? No, of course. We've seen a lot of famous siblings in sports over the years haven't we you know we we talk about hoops we think of the gasols we talk about the nfl we talk about the mannings uh the nhl the sedines and you know the list continues to go on and on the uptons the boons (laughs) the uptons the boons (laughs) oh boy yeah uh lesser names right (laughs) but you know we're not going to talk about uh, lesser names. We're going to talk about a big name today in, in an international sport that, in my opinion, um, has been overshadowed by a sibling for the better part of her career. You know, she's a seven-time major champion and former world number one. She just had a match a couple days ago in Washington, D.C. at age 42. So today we're going to talk about Venus Williams. You know, this is probably the biggest name we've talked about on this show so far. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Anyone listening's, anyone listening's probably like, well, 
you know, where are you going with this? So we don't talk a lot of tennis, but I am a tennis fan. And, you know, the Western and Southern Open are taking place in about two weeks in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'm doing all that I can to try and make it uh, to see the Williams sisters with, you know, along with Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, uh, and, you know, some new blood on the women's side, you know, uh, Sloane Stevens, you know, she's been outstanding. And then, you know, one of my favorites, uh, the always controversial Australian Nick Kyrgios. Uh, he's he's an emotional guy, as as we, we talked about with Romario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, has, has a little bit of a history there, right, in Cincinnati? Yeah, I was about to say, you know, if, uh, if anybody out there is listening and you know anything about Nick Kyrgios, this is his first return to Cincinnati since his infamous uh, meltdown, which you can find all over the internet. There's a lot of yelling. A lot of breaking of a of a racket, and uh, it was a, just a, a heated exchange between him and the uh, and the ref. But <laughs> you know, looking forward to his return. Uh, but anyways, Venus Williams, yes, the older sister of Serena Williams. Uh, without having to go into a deep explanation, most of you understand the magnitude of what these women have done and continue to do for tennis. You know, two black sisters from South Central L.A. turning pro in their early teens. You know, that goes without saying, right, Lefty? Absolutely. That's a, you know, huge accomplishment in a sport that, uh, you know, historically has not been uh, anywhere near diverse. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, whenever siblings are competing at that level at the same time, one of them is going to have to be the front runner. And that statistically... Uh, Serena obviously eventually became the front runner, but when Venus started winning at the WTA level in the late '90s, a lot of people thought it was going to be her. Uh, what made her so exciting? The tenacity, the grit, the strength, the speed. These are all tools that she still has. Uh, watching highlights of the match from uh, just the other day, these are still uh, so much part of her game, and you know. At 6-1, she's still an intimidating force on the court. And, you know, up until 2014, she held the record for the fastest serve on the WTA Tour, uh, recorded at the 2007 U.S. Open. That was 129 miles per hour. That, you that's know, just that's a, incredible. It's a right unhittable. So by the age of 20, she already had a WA title, three Tier 1 titles, two Grand Slam doubles titles with her sister, and she was ranked as high as number three in the world. She finished her career, well, if it continues on, possibly. You know, she has 49 WTA singles titles, 22 doubles titles, seven Grand Slam singles titles, 14 Grand Slam doubles titles, and four Olympic medals. So she's one of the most successful female players of the Open era, and, you know, particularly... She has a lot of success at, at Wimbledon. You know, only three women have won the women's singles title more often. But what has really surprised me is that if you look at many top 10 all-time lists, she isn't in them or she finishes near the bottom. So, you know, last year alone, she extended her record as the all-time leader. That's male or female in Grand Slams played. She's appeared 90 times. Think about that. That's just an incredible number. Yeah. You know, and in the latter part of her career, she's she's struggled. She's she's failed to make it past the third round of a Grand Slam since 2017. 
Um, you know, she's hasn't made it past the second round since 2018. But the conversation I want to focus on isn't just about being slided from a list or even where her career numbers stand in relation to her sister or Martina Hingis or Lindsay Davenport or any of those names. Venus Williams was an inadvertent activist for women in tennis. And this started at a very young age. Now, most of us are aware and have our own thoughts on compensation equality in sports today. But, you know, when this started for Venus, there had only been one other woman to fight for and receive equal pay, and that was Billie Jean King in, in 1973 at the U.S. Open. You know, we go back to 1998. Venus Williams, 18 years old. She's at Wimbledon. And she went on the record right after her first round match saying she thought ladies should do something about it instead of just accepting it for years and years to come. So any opportunity she had as a teenager, she would speak on the topic openly. And that is what led to her over the years forming a relationship with Billie Jean King. They created a bond, stayed friends, and they can fit, they continue to fight together the, uh, you know, the movement that uh, Billie Jean had started so many decades prior. So in 2005, Williams met with the French Open officials on the day right before she won Wimbledon for the third time. She presented in front of the International Tennis Foundation's Grand Slam board on the importance of equal pay. I mean, this was a historic meeting. She talked about gender, gap in prize money, the level of respect at the tournament for both sexes. This these are all topics that play such a huge role in society today, right, Lefty? Absolutely. And you know, I kind of rem- remember her big, uh, the turning point there, that, uh, that op-ed that she published in The Times in London, which yeah, absolutely. Uh, really, really shifted, uh, at least, you know, uh, in, as much as I remember, it really shifted the, the tone there because I remember that, uh, you know, often wrong uh UK Prime Minister Tony Blair even came out after, after reading that and said that uh, agreed that Wimbledon or that uh, Wimbledon was on the wrong side of history. Um, right. And uh, you know it's a big move if anybody in the UK admits being on the wrong side of history. Right. And think of uh, you know again being a person at this age, uh, a black woman in tennis with all the adversity you've already faced in your career over the past few years, now to go down this path. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so much criticism, so many hurdles to jump, a lot of hardships. You know, this meeting w- was not immediately effective, although it was, you know, it shook the room. It wasn't until 2007 Wil- Wimbledon where she won again that she was able to receive the same wage as her male counterparts. You know, she was quoted as saying, I became the first woman to receive equal prize money there. I was the first woman who could go into the the finals focusing entirely on her game instead of thinking, hey, I'm not equal here. So, you know, she sparked the fire for activism among other women in sports just right then and there. And, you know, I obviously think the the one that stands out to me, Lefty, is the U.S. women's national soccer team, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, they, they've had that massive fight here that they, they won here just, uh, what, a month ago? Um, yeah. And you, you can tell that that, uh, that torch was likely passed from, from the foundation that, uh, 
you know, Venus built there. For sure. You know, they win a World Cup. They create visibility for the sport. It comes, it becomes incredibly popular. They're on the cover of every magazine. And yet they're, they're not receiving equal pay and they're having to stand up and fight for, you know, self-value. It's, it's pretty crazy, but it, uh, all in all, Venus Williams has contributed more to the sport of tennis than many other counterparts, both male and female. She isn't in everybody's top 10 all time of greatest tennis players. She, she doesn't have a 1 million square foot building at Nike's headquarters named in her honor like, like Serena does. In fact, you know, we can think about this. If she doesn't have a sister at all, where, where does she stand all time really? Not only in, in tennis rankings, but also popularity. It, you know, is Venus Williams getting the respect she deserves because she's one half of the Williams sisters or is she underrated lefty? You know, I think she's absolutely underrated. Um, not just for, uh, the incredible feats that she, you know, accomplished as a tennis player, but as you mentioned, also the, the work she did to forward the sport of tennis, um, especially for women and women of color, um, you know, she started playing professionally at 14 years old, which is just um, insane. Yeah. Um, right. And I, I, I don't think that uh, that can be, you know, understated. 14-year-old um, professional tennis player who right. know, has, has right. continued to play now for, you know, uh, almost 30 years. Um, yeah. In her 28th year of a competition. Um, definitely, you know, all the accolades, five-time Wimbledon winner, U.S. Open winner twice two-time Australian Open winner, um, former number one in the world, um, obviously an incredible, uh, you know, athlete and tennis player. Um, and if we left at that, we'd still be underrated. But as you as you touched upon, the, the work she's done for, um, you know, increasing and equalizing pay is incredible. Um, and I think that you can kind of see her influence uh, right now in the tennis world. Like, I believe just a few days ago in the... Uh, so the the Silicon Valley Classic, um, mm -hmm. we we had a matchup between Coco Goff and Naomi Osaka, and I think right. that uh, exactly. you know those are two players that are among the best in the world who maybe didn't pick up tennis if it wasn't for um, you know the influence of of Venus and, and Serena, but um, you know largely um, the activism that the, the Venus undertook. Definitely laying that foundation to empower women to not be afraid to know, you know, in her lifetime, she wanted to see, uh, you know, equality as far as compensation goes. You know, 20, in 2020, Forbes magazine released a uh, uh, an article about, you know, the top 10 highest paid female athletes in the world. And two of them in the top 10 were, were both female tennis players. I think that speaks volumes to, to what has happened, you know, because of what Venus Williams has pushed for and has advocated for. And, you know, as much research as I've done, as much publicity as they've gotten, you know, people can say, well, you know, this woman's made $100 million in her career. You know, how is she underrated? Well, it's, it's not all about statistics. It's all about the importance of the role you're trying to play and selflessness also, right? So, um, absolutely. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, just, just beyond, you know, equal pay activism and things like that, it's worth noting that uh, she also contributed to just making tennis cool. 
Like it, right, it was it wasn't a sport that uh, was was viewed as as something that you know most people played as a kid. It's not a sport that was viewed as something that was super accessible to to a lot of different people. And you know, she definitely contributed to changing the perception of what tennis could be. Absolutely, and she was just so damn good, and still is at it. And it's just incredible. You know, like you stated. She's 30 years into her career at this point. Uh, I can't imagine being an athlete for that long. You yeah, know? She, she's been a professional tennis player longer than I've been alive. Right. <laughs> absolutely, man. So I think we agree uh, that Venus Williams is absolutely underrated. Totally. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, we are back. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot happening coming up in the world. Is there anything you're excited about, Bo? Yeah, obviously we talked about uh, English Premier League games that, uh, you know, are happening. Uh, what has the, uh, the Everton-Chelsea game ended? Yeah, I believe that uh, I, I, I'm not even looking. I'm just assuming that Chelsea held off. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. Chelsea, Chelsea okay. did win. All right, perfect. You know, as I, I mentioned earlier in the show, we we had a crazy MLB trade deadline, so we'll chat about that right off the bat. Let's hop into it. The the Juan Soto and Josh Bell trade to the Padres for, for Luke Voigt and, and five prospects. What do you yeah. think, Lefty? Yeah, it was a massive trade. Um, I think a lot of us didn't anticipate that getting done, but, uh, you know, they found a way. Um, as we've chatted about multiple times before, um, I, I believe you as well are both, we're both in the camp that established talent is much more valuable and important than prospects. Um, sure. so I won't be surprised if none of these specs work out for the nationals and there's absolutely no <laughs> way that any of them can match the production of Juan Soto. Uh, right. so I, I can't, I have no idea why they would not try to build a team around him versus trading him away. Um, as we can see, uh, with the Padres, uh, it's not that hard to spend money and put together a competitive team. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all works out. Uh, they've got, on paper, a super team. Um, but I, I, I want to see how they put it together because the Dodgers have had a super team for years and continue to do uh, yeah, the I same mean, thing every year. Yeah, I mean... And I feel like there's this notion that San Diego is some small market, nothing team, but like they're still running one of the highest payrolls in baseball, um, even, even before this trade. Um, they're, they're, they're not the Rockies. They're not the Diamondbacks. They, they are a big market team that spends a lot of money and it just so happens that the Dodgers are better than them. (laughs) Um, we've, we've seen since this auto trade now. They're one and two. They've lost to the Rockies. They got smoked by the Dodgers yesterday. And I think it'll be actually pretty funny that they they decimated their farm system um, and they won't be able to win. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how uh, obviously this is going on. And now the 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 missing piece is is Fernando Tatis Jr. But he'll be back here soon. And, and that's yeah. what's going to bring it all together is, is according to uh the, the Padres fan base, this is what's going to, he's the glue. Yeah, maybe. Um, he, he's, starting, <laughs> he's starting his uh, rehab assignment here. 
um, I believe yesterday, today, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun to have him back. He's definitely a great asset to the baseball community. Somebody that just loves to play. He's happy doing it. Um, sure. That's awesome. Um, do I think they'll they'll have enough to, to even make the playoffs? Uh, maybe. They won't win that division, but but I, th- I think they think they'll make the playoffs in a wild card spot. Right, right. So that was, you know, that was the big one. But, you know, I, I think there were two big losers. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, who are just losers year-round. Um, you know, I don't care if they're winning or not. Uh, they're, they suck. So uh, you've, you've got Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ who didn't move. And as, as we've discussed, this organization is just absurd. Yeah, These they, guys have been on a farewell tour for like two weeks, crying, hugging, waving goodbye, getting ovations, yeah, and they just didn't leave. It's the most, uh, you know, melodramatic team, fan base, ownership I've, I've ever seen in professional sports. Um, Ian Happ is a replacement level player. Um He's never been all that good. He's having a breakout year this year, and that breakout year means that he's still just slightly above average. Right, um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, they've been they've been going around crying, hanging out at Wrigley Field for an hour after the game, um, saying their goodbyes as if they are retiring Hall of Famers um, instead of what Ian Happ is. He even made an all-star <laughs> team. Um, right, exactly. Um and to Wilson Contreras' credit, he is a much better player than, uh-huh. than Hap, and he is a, you know, among the best catchers in the game. Um, yeah. But his career's not been that long, and he has not really um, done much to to deserve a, a right. farewell tour on par with, uh, you know, Albert Pujols and, uh, you know, Miguel Cabrera, who I guess is not retiring now. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's the most melodramatic fan base um, and players, team, ownership in <laughs> sports. And uh, yeah, I, I think we're doing a discredit to our listeners to even talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm going to say this. Like, I, I guess there's a case for keeping Hap if you, you had an opportunity to move Contreras. Uh, I, Contreras is... Uh, like you said, among the best catchers in baseball. But if you're the Cubs, of course you don't, you know, and I'm not sure what needed to happen, but they just continue to drop the ball. I mean, you look at a guy like Hap, okay. He can play outfield, second, third base. You know, he's having a quote-unquote breakout year. This is the time to move him, okay. The Blue Jays ended up with Whit Merrifield, who couldn't even get into Canada at the time of the trade, all right. The Padres were giving people uh, away all day, you know, even after the Soto trade. You got you got re- the Red Sox. They pick up so- uh, Tommy Pham. You got the Phillies, who actually traded someone for Brandon Marsh. Uh, you have Houston, who 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 traded for Trey Mancini, who yes has has been on a tear here. Um, but something could have happened here. Yeah. You know, if you know, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm 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 just scratching my head yet again. Here we go, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe if we want to give him the benefit of the doubt with Hap, um, again, a player who has never, until 2022, at 27 years old, the statistical peak of most major league players, um, he's never surpassed two wins above replacement in a year, solidly below yeah. replacement level. Um, 
my if we want to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe the the team that was hunting for for Ian Happ, it's the White Sox, in need of a right fielder, um, and they just didn't want to get burned by another trade there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, future Cubs Hall of Famer Ian Happ. That's uh, that's what we can say. Yeah, they'll uh, re- retire his number um, right after they stop stop blaming Steve Bartman for for losing a game. Right, exactly, exactly. You know, you mentioned the Rockies, and. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I really don't know what to say about the Rockies. You know, you wonder why guys like Tulowitzki, Arenado, Trevor Story, every single one of them grows frustrated. They become vocal. They, there's just weird undertones in interviews. And then next thing you know, they want out. Why? Because this organization continues to sabotage itself on purpose. Or they're just freaking horrible at their jobs. But... You know, the good news is, and I know you were worried about this, Lefty, they did extend their 37-year-old closer who they literally could have traded to, to three, four teams, you know, at the deadline, but but chose not to. So, Bard's got $19 million over the next two years. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm incredibly happy for him. That's a, he, <laughs> that's a win, right, man? That is a I huge mean, win. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, no, no other moves. I, you, you know, they're, they're not rebuilding. They're not, they're not currently building. They, I don't know what the hell they're doing to be honest, but, uh, that's the Rockies. This is the game they played for a long time. And, uh, you either, uh, get on board or just, just don't, I guess you just have to, uh, make yourself vocal in the media and then they'll, then they'll move you. Yeah. You know, I, I tweeted about it the other day, but their ownership, their, general manager whatever it kind of seems like uh you know that guy in a in your fantasy league that you know drafted a team doesn't show up for like six weeks and then you know every month for the rest of the season will like log on one day and make some moves and think that he's up to date with things sets his lineups Yeah. yeah it's like it's like they have no uh no idea what actually has happened all year or in the past decade but uh but they keep you know dropping in blind and uh, making some moves and thinking that they're uh, they're still in second place. Yeah, it's, you know, we see other teams in other sports, uh, you know, everywhere that are going through the same thing. And, you know, I mean, the Portland Trailblazers are going through it right now. Um, they're, they're trying to get the Allen family to let go of that organization so someone can come in and run it properly. They also own the Seahawks. Um and they're trying to make this happen because they're trying to rebuild after, you know, uh, Russell Wilson was traded and they've made a bunch of moves uh, and, and let, you know, some legendary players uh, walk and or retire. Um, it's it's very difficult. You're, you're in a helpless situation. But, uh, you know, speaking of helpless, you know, I know that goes for White Sox fans, too. Yeah, you know, with TLR in the dugout. Uh, how did you feel about uh, your White Sox uh, trade deadline? You know, they they definitely uh, didn't do a thing and didn't help (laughs) the team. Um, At the same time, I don't know what they could have done to help that team. Uh, They, whatever they needed to get to the next level, um, definitely is outside the range of uh, prospect capital they have. Um, And really, you know, this was the 10th trade deadline, I believe, by general manager Rick Hahn. Um, he, he's just never going to get it done. Um, 
Uh, and yeah. I th- and as you mentioned, you know, ownership uh, ownership can ruin teams. And I think uh, until something happens to Jerry Reinsdorf, he sells the team or heads to a farm upstate, um, nothing's going to change there. Um, they, they, the, the team requires a level of funding that he's unwilling to make um, and a commitment to winning that uh, he clearly does not does not have the capacity to uh to give absolutely you see guys like reinsdorf uh jerry jones uh, you know with the cowboys these guys are running their team and their organization and they're they're way too involved but their mindset is from 30 years ago you know even down to dollars is yeah. what we're talking here too yeah yeah, yeah. jerry jerry reinsdorf is definitely still thinks that it's 1985 he doesn't yeah. know what the shift is. Um, in fact, he doesn't probably even know that there's a DH in the NL right now. Yeah, he's yeah he's 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 out there for sure. Yeah, he, he yeah. probably even thinks the White Sox are in the uh, the AL West still. He sees the, <laughs> he sees the Angels, you know, playing terribly and says, "Oh, well, we're ahead of them, our AL West well, compatriots." I got to say this, if there's some way this happens, I mean, I didn't check the standings this morning, but what are the White Sox, two games out of yeah, first? Two, two or three. I mean, it's still close. If if all the movement that the Twins made during the deadline uh, for some reason just doesn't pan out or help and the White Sox still continue to be in it and maybe surpass them, uh, I mean, I think that's the that that's going to be uh, – pretty wild you know yeah and it's it's not even really accomplishment to to win the worst division in baseball (laughs) um i think that if you're trying to put together a competitive team the goal has to be higher than just winning your terrible division yeah absolutely 100 percent. well this was another good episode uh we had fun on this one we talked about you know two great athletes in romario the romario and venus williams uh, we touched on the, the, the trade deadline and uh, a little bit of English Premier League. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Lefty, tell them where uh, we, can, uh, we can talk about more of that. Yeah, if you, uh, you want to throw us your thoughts about Venus Williams, Romario, the trade deadline, Premier League season, or anything else, uh, you can find us on Twitter at underratedpod. That's at under underscore rated underscore pod. And you can find this episode and every other episode um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts can be found. Definitely great show. We will see you guys next time.